0: I want you to go to the book of Acts and go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28. When you get to chapter 28 of the book of Acts, go all the way to the last verse, and then the next thing you will see, there'll be a little blank space. Or maybe even a whole blank page, depending on how your Bible is laid out. And the next thing you will see is a heading that will say the letter of Paul to the Romans. Do you see that? You see verse 31 of Acts 28, and then you see the letter of Paul to the Romans heading. My text is taken from the blank space between verse 31 and the heading to the book of Romans let's pray some of you are saying we need to pray now we love you Lord we are thankful for your goodness and thankful for your presence that we've already sensed in this house now open our hearts that we may hear what the spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching I pray I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask you to draw them to a place of repentance so that not one of them is lost. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. In reality, my text is the entire book of Acts today, but we didn't have time to read it all, so. The book of Acts is an amazing book. In fact, there is no other book in the Bible quite like this particular book. For 28 chapters, this book records 33 years of action-packed Holy Spirit involvement in the lives of early believers. The book is titled The Acts of the Apostles, but in reality, it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit with responses from the apostles. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is referenced some 56 times. One of the identifying marks that sets the people of Acts apart is that they all had the Holy Spirit. But an even greater revelation comes when you recognize that the Holy Spirit had them. The book of Acts is stranger than any fiction. It's more compelling than any novel. It's more spellbinding than any mystery. It's more inspiring than any short story. From the moment you begin reading the very first page all the way to the end of the book, you'd better have your seatbelt fastened your seat back in the upright position, your tray table secured, your carry-on luggage properly stowed, and you better get ready for an incredible flight because you've never had one like the one that is portrayed in this book of Acts. In chapter 1, Jesus uses the clouds as stepping stones to go back to the Father while men in white announce He's coming back again. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit steps into the existence of that little infant church and sends people filled with His Spirit staggering into the street, speaking languages to 16 different people groups on the streets of Jerusalem. In chapter 3, two poor preachers have no money to give a lame beggar, but they hand him a miracle and he shouts into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. In chapter 4, those same two preachers have been dragged before the chief rulers of religion. They've been commanded to teach no more in the name of Jesus, but being let go, they went back to their companions, called a prayer meeting, and when they had prayed, the place was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. When you get to chapter 5, things get rather crazy. Two people who should have known better lie to the Holy Spirit, and there's a double funeral. When you step into chapter 6, the church has grown so much that they're having to select out seven men full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit to care for the needs of the people. Out of those seven, one is named Stephen, another is named Philip, and as they engage their purpose so that the apostles can perform their ministry, the kingdom of God is enlarged and many marvelous signs and wonders and wonders are performed at the hands of these deacons. Before you know it, you're in chapter 7. Here you find one of the most impactful sermons in all the Bible preached by a deacon named Stephen. When he came to the altar call, he said, you are stiff-necked, hard-hearted men, and you have resisted the word of God. Well, nobody wanted to pray after that, so they dragged him out of the city. They stoned him, but the Holy Spirit had the last word. Falling to his knees, Stephen said, I see the heavens open, and I see the glory of God. And being full of the Holy Spirit, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You go on to chapter eight and find that other deacon. His name is Philip, and he's gone up to Samaria. A revival breaks out, and the whole city gets saved. Then Peter and John come from Jerusalem, start laying hands on people, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The next thing you know, Philip shows up in the middle of the desert, and there's an Ethiopian coming down the road who needs to be saved. Philip stops his chariot long enough to tell him about Jesus, baptize him in water, and the Bible says after that, the spirit of the Lord just took him up and carried him away. And if that's not enough, you keep going into chapter 9. Here we are reintroduced to a young, fiery intellectual breathing out threats that we first read about back in chapter 8. He was a hot-headed Pharisee with an ambition bigger than he was, but he met his match on the road to Damascus. When the light of glory shined on him, he wound up flat of his back saying, who are you, Lord? Jesus answered him and said, you think you're fighting against the church, but when you persecute the church, you persecute me. Well, his life got turned upside down, inside out. The scales fell off of his eyes. Verse 20 of chapter 9 says immediately you could find him preaching Jesus in the synagogue. When you step into chapter 10, Peter perceives that God is no respecter of persons when a group of Italian Gentiles got saved and received the Holy Spirit at the house of Cornelius. When you get to chapter 11, persecution has scattered the church. A handful of laymen show up in the third largest city of the known world called Antioch, and they start telling people about Jesus. A church gets planted there that became arguably one of the greatest churches in early church history, a church that lasted and influenced the world on into the 5th century AD. When you leave chapter 11 and get into chapter 12, the leader, Herod, has cut off the head of James. He's imprisoned Peter, and he's waiting to execute him also. Well, this prompts the church to a season of fervent prayer. And what Peter found out was that it was easier to get out of jail by an angel than to get into a prayer meeting by people who get their prayer answered. (laughs) When you get to chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, now it's time to separate out Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. They blazed a trail of gospel glory along with a trail of suffering. And it isn't long before you're in chapter 14. Barnabas and Saul find themselves at Lystra. Saul is now known as Paul, and he is stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. But the Bible says the disciples gathered around him, and the Lord raised him up, and he continued preaching. When you go to chapter 15, there's a little theological debate going on. Should we or should we not require circumcision and keeping of the Mosaic law for people to be part of the church? Well, after testimony was given and discussion was concluded, the end result was unity, as recorded in Acts 15, 28, that it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Well, when you get to chapter 16, there's a man who appears to Paul in a dream. I told you this was stranger than fiction, didn't I? The man said, come over into Macedonia. Since the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go into Asia like they wanted, they decided, well, this might be the leading of the Lord. And Paul and Silas headed over to Macedonia. They went over to help folks, but ended up in Philippi being hurt by folks. They were beaten. They were placed in stocks and bonds in the inner prison. However, at midnight, they began to sing songs and give praise to the Lord. God sent an earthquake to set them free. The next thing you know, the sun has come up. They've had a revival in the jailhouse. People have gotten saved, they've baptized Mr. Jailer, Mrs. Jailer, and all the little jailers, and a church was planted in Philippi. When you go to chapter 17, Paul walks into Athens and tells the intelligentsia of that city, I saw an altar on my way into town that reminded me of somebody. Paul began by talking about the unknown God, and he preached to them about the known God who had revealed himself in the Lord Jesus. He left Athens and went to one of the most decadent cities in the world in chapter 18, the city of Corinth, pornographic in every way. He stayed there two years, planted a church, and left a pastor to lead that congregation. Then he moved on to Ephesus in chapter 19. There he met 12 men who had been baptized by John. He laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In that city, he also met seven men, the sons of Siva, who tried to use the name of Jesus like some pet rabbit's foot. These men found out you can't play around with the power of Jesus. And the last time we saw those guys, they were some of the first streakers in the Bible. When you get to chapter 19, you, come to, you, you leave chapter 19, you come to, ver, uh, to chapter 20, and Paul sets his face to go back to Jerusalem. He says to the Ephesian elders as he stops off on his way, I want to tell you I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit tells me that chains and hardship await me there. But Paul says, I want to leave you with this message. None of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself, that I might run my race with joy and fulfill the ministry given to me by the Holy Spirit. When you get to chapter 21, Paul is assaulted and arrested. In chapter 22 he gives a snippet of his personal testimony. In chapters 23 and 24, he gets caught up in the political intrigue of a corrupt justice system looking for a bribe. There's Felix and Festus, and then Agrippa gets in the mix. And before you know it, Paul does a two-year stretch in an out-of-the-way jail in Caesarea. When you get to chapter 26, do you think Paul's discouraged? No, I don't think so. He stands in front of Agrippa and takes most of that chapter to give a testimony that would blow your mind. In verses 19 and 20 of that chapter, he says, Here's what I have to say about my life, O King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When you step out of chapter 26 into chapter 27, Paul is finally on his way to Rome. He said, I want to preach the gospel in Rome before I die. But he's going there as a prisoner, not as a preacher. On the way... A storm breaks out. He's two weeks in a hurricane. He washed up on the shore of an island, and the devil thinks he's washed up for good. A snake bites him, and it looks like it's over. But he simply shakes the snake off into the fire and goes on about his business. The leader of the island needs healing, and he takes the hand bitten by a snake and lays it on the head of that sick leader. And the man is healed, and revival breaks out in Malta. And the next thing you know, there's a prayer line. The Spirit of the Lord is moving, and the church is flourishing. Well, the story ends abruptly in chapter 28. And then we come to chapter 29. You say, well, that's a pretty incredible story up until now, but my Bible doesn't have a chapter 29. Oh, yes, it does. It's in that blank space that I was telling you about at the beginning of the message. Well, Pastor, what happens in chapter 29? I'll tell you what happens in chapter 29. You're living in chapter 29. You are chapter 29. This is chapter 29. Where we are right now is those last days when the Lord is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh and the rest of the story is being written right now even as we speak. You and I are proclaiming the message of the wholeness of Jesus to a broken world. You and I, as the church of the Lord Jesus, are preaching the rest of the sermon that was begun back in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Now the concern I have, everybody who writes a book knows that there needs to be a cohesion to all the chapters. It it needs to hold together for it to make sense. And the concern I have is that there needs to be a congruity between the contemporary part of the message and the message that was begun back then. My concern is that there must be a cohesiveness to the book between those first 28 chapters and the final chapter that is currently being written. The reason I have concern about this is because it seems to me that the book of Acts has been telling the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit, but there are too many who have begun to think of the Holy Spirit as optional. Too many have begun to think of the Holy Spirit as an add-on or an accessory or an extra plug-in that we can choose to include or we can leave off. As a result, we have this tendency to get off message and start writing a completely different book instead of writing a continuation of the one that has already been started. What I sense the Holy, you do realize that every church in the book of Acts was a spirit-filled church. What I sense the Holy Spirit doing in this day is calling us back into alignment with the story that was begun in the upper room. I sense him calling us to a place where we keep the storyline moving forward. I sense him challenging us to stay on target and stay on message and stay focused on the theme so that this new chapter he's calling us to write is in keeping with the rest of the book. So the question for us becomes, how do we do that? How do we write this new chapter in a manner that is in keeping with the rest of the book? Well, first of all, it means we're going to have to remember our purpose. Remember our purpose. When you read through the book of Acts, and especially when you read the sermons that are preached in this book, you come away with the understanding that it didn't really matter what prompted the message, didn't really matter where the message began, didn't really matter the text of the message. Every one of the messages in the book of Acts makes a beeline just as soon as possible to the death and the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what we have to remember in this new chapter of the book of Acts is that we have one purpose, and that is to know Jesus and to make Him known. As Pentecostal believers, our purpose is not to come together once a week and rejoice in our blessings. Our purpose is not to form a Holy Spirit club to get together and exercise spiritual gifts over one another and shout praises. You know, sometimes we can get so carried away by the manifestations of the Spirit and by all the peripheral issues about the Spirit and by the demonstration of the power that accompanies the entrance of the Spirit until we forget the purpose of the Spirit. If we aren't careful, it's possible that signs and demonstrations of spiritual gifts will become the focus and the objects of our worship rather than Jesus. Now, lest you misunderstand me, I want to boldly declare that divine healing is part of the current ministry of the church through the power of the Spirit. At the same time, I want you to understand that our spiritual enemy doesn't care how many people we get healed as long as we focus on healing instead of Jesus. Divine utterance of the Spirit in speaking in tongues is a present-day manifestation gift for the Spirit-filled redeemed. But our spiritual enemy doesn't care how loud or how long we speak in tongues as long as we focus on tongues instead of Jesus. Involvement in acts of kindness and works of charity is part of the mission of the modern church But our spiritual enemy doesn't care how many charitable acts we do or how busy we are in religious activities So long as we focus on them instead of jesus See in the midst of oiling all the church machinery and in the midst of trying to develop relevant innovative programs In the midst of managing budgets and caring for buildings We must never forget that our purpose is not to call people to church membership Our purpose is not to call people to our particular brand of holiness, Pentecostal living. Our purpose is not to call people to follow our denominational creed. Our purpose is to call people to follow Jesus. And what makes this present chapter we're writing a true continuation of the book of Acts and the book of the Holy Spirit isn't our lively music It isn't when we pray together and what we call concert prayer. It isn't because sometimes people are overwhelmed by the Spirit and they fall down when we lay hands on them in prayer. What makes this present chapter a true continuation of the acts of the Holy Spirit is when we go to a lost world that is dying and going to hell without a Savior. And through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, we bring them into the kingdom of God. No matter what else we do, we must never forget that the only hope for the people of this world is not found in our church affiliation, it isn't found in our helpful advice, it isn't found in our charismatic personalities or our reasoned discourses. The only real hope for the people of this world is found in a man, Jesus. The greatest need the people of this world have is the one expressed by a group of Greek men who came to one of the disciples and said sir we want to see Jesus whatever we do we must point people to Jesus the one who was conceived miraculously, the one who was born humbly, the one who lived sinlessly, the one who died ignominiously, the one who resurrected victoriously the one who ascended gloriously point them to the one who is the miracle worker, the sea walker, the sight restorer the leper cleanser, the bread multiplier, the way maker, the burden bearer, the sin debt canceller. Point them to the one who gives life and life and help and hope. In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. Point them to Jesus. When you go on your job Monday morning In the midst of fulfilling your responsibilities to your employer, remember your purpose to show people Jesus. When you walk the halls of your school, remember your purpose is to show people Jesus. When you interact with your family members, remember your purpose is to show people Jesus. Whatever else we do, we must never forget our primary purpose to point people to Jesus. If you're going to write a chapter that is in keeping with the rest of the book, you must remember your purpose. Then we're going to have to recapture our passion. Now, as I read the book of Acts, it strikes me that once people are filled with the Spirit, that Spirit fullness creates a passion in them that doesn't wane. They endure criticism. They endure persecution. They endure hardship. They endure beating and stoning and imprisonment. They endure injustice after injustice. They suffer the loss of everything that is dear to them, but they just keep going. You know, I could contrast that with, you know, we just had a hard day. You know, we worked out in the yard Saturday, and so we can't even get to the house of God on Sunday because we just want to rest up a little bit. Yeah, I know, spirit of meddling got on you right there, Pastor. But Come on, somebody. Oh, you know, I just, it's going to be a little, it's going to be inconvenient. Passion. I read something not too long ago, and, and I, I actually printed it and put it on a bulletin board in my wall in my office to remind me. It said something like this. If it's really important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. Passion. When you look at this idea of passion, you realize it relates to two things. First, it relates to suffering. We read about the passion of Jesus. When we read that, we, you, you read about his pain. Pain. It is this passion we remember when we join in the communion of the Lord's table. When you read about the passion of Jesus, you read about the agony and the suffering that he willingly subjected himself to because of the joy that was set before him. Not only does passion relate to suffering, it also relates to endurance. It's about a fire in the belly. It's about the unwillingness to lay down. It's about the undying commitment that says, I will not, I cannot quit. God is God, and we must go forward whatever the cost. You know, we keep, we keep saying, well, I just need to, you know, it, it's so hard right now. Yes, it is. Welcome to life. Life is hard. But God is still God. So keep going with God. I know this is going to come as a shock to some of you. It might even mess with you a little bit. I don't know. I don't always want to come to this pulpit and preach. Especially on those Sundays when some of you just sit there and look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. There's some weeks I would pay 20 bucks for an amen. I'm serious. And I stand up here going, dear Jesus. The people you gave me, Lord. I know y'all are sitting back there thinking, dear Jesus, the pastor you gave us, Lord. It works both ways. I get it. Yeah, I don't always feel like, I don't always feel I don't always feel saved. I'm not saved because I feel like it. I don't always feel praise because I don't praise my feelings. I praise my faith. I praise as a decision of my will. always fun when some of you sit back there going bless me if you think you can <laughs> better guys than you've tried <laughs> but, that, but, but that endurance says no that's why Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with Endurance, the race that is set before us. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And if you fall down, you don't stay down. I like what Paul said, that we are afflicted in every way, but, but we're, not, we're, we're, we're not giving up here. I like the way the Phillips translation renders part of that verse when it says, we may be knocked down, but we're never knocked out. You keep hanging in there. If if the message you proclaim as a continuation of the acts of the Holy Spirit is to be a true and accurate one that is in keeping with the first part of the book, you're going to have to recapture your passion. You have to know that the enemy of your soul is going to do everything he can to stop you in your tracks. He's going to do everything he can to discourage and intimidate and knock you off your game. He's going to do everything he can to get you to throw in the towel. And my Lord, help us. There are too many, especially in the last couple of years, with all that this world has been experiencing, they've just thrown in the towel. God, help us. the reason we stay in the game, the reason we continue to go on and go and go and go and go some more, it isn't because of some legalistic requirement. It isn't because of somebody making us feel guilty for not doing our part, but it is the love of God that constrains us. He has loved me with an everlasting love. How can I not respond to that love? It's because the Holy Spirit has placed the very character of the Father within us. We feel His heart. We share His concerns. We refuse to give in no matter what the cost because souls are crying and men are dying and we are the voice of Jesus and we are the hands of Jesus and we are the feet of Jesus and we are the message of Jesus to a broken world. I tell you, without us, they will not know. Without us, they cannot make it. We dare not become passive and idle. We refuse to give up because men and women and boys and girls are dying and going to hell because they're lost without a Savior. That's the passion that drives us. Would to God we would have that passion rekindled in every one of us. If we want to write a chapter that is in keeping with the rest of the book, we must recapture our passion. Finally, I would tell you that if we would be faithful in writing a chapter that is in keeping with the rest of the book, we must release his person. See, being filled with the Spirit is more than an event, it's a lifestyle. The only way we can effectively know Christ and make him known, the only way we can effectively proclaim his mercy and goodness with a compelling passion is when we are continually being filled with the Spirit. It happens when we are tuned into the Spirit. It happens when we are guided by the Spirit. It happens when we are enabled and prompted and built up and empowered by the Spirit. It happens when we rely on the Spirit every moment of every day. See, I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit is working through us, miracles occur. When the Holy Spirit is working through us, lives are transformed. When the Holy Spirit is working through us, bodies are healed and hearts are mended and relationships are restored. Listen, listen to me very carefully. You're not going to find the answers to what's wrong in this world in Washington, D.C. You won't find it in Tallahassee. You won't find it at the courthouse or at the ballot box. You won't find it in the counseling session. You won't find it in the protest march. You won't find it in the halls of academia. The answer to what's wrong in this world is found in the lives of those who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. Rise up, you who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Release the power of the Spirit that is within you to those you meet who are in need. Go into that place where darkness has ruled and in the power of the Spirit, drive out the enemy and release the powerful presence of the living God. Bring light to a dark place. Bring peace to a troubled place. Bring hope to a hopeless place. Bring life to a dead place. Bring wholeness to a broken place. Write the next chapter. A chapter that tells of the continuing acts of the Holy Spirit. See, here's what I know. If the light of the Holy Spirit is in your life, the power of the Spirit is resident within you. You don't ever have to fear walking into a dark place. See, I've told you this before. There are two ways I know to try to get rid of darkness. You can stand and curse the darkness, try to drive it out, or you just turn on a light. Turning on a light is a whole lot more effective and a whole lot more efficient. So just walk into a place and be light. Just be light. You may not even have to say a whole lot. Just be light, be hope, be encouragement. Somebody's watching. You don't think anybody even notices, somebody's watching. Somebody cares, so rise up. I've preached long enough, stand. How's that for crash landing the plane? We're done. I've done this the last couple of weeks. I want to do it one more time because I I just feel like this is what the Holy Spirit impressed upon me a couple of weeks ago to do. And that is to call the church forward to unite in a time of prayer. Praying for yourself and praying for this church to be empowered with the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way. I know you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I know, I mean, I'm... But can I just tell you you don't need just an experience that happened a long time ago. You need a fresh touch of the Spirit of God in your life. Some of, you've, some of you have abandoned your post. The Lord says, no, I, 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 I'm calling you back. You, you've, been, you've been gone long enough. You've been away from it long enough. You, you, you've abandoned your post. It's time to get back in the game. We we don't need people sitting on the bench. We need all hands on deck. How's that for mixing metaphors? You know, just anything I can get. Something, something, maybe something will resonate with you. Just grab something. You can't quit. And it's not just you can't quit and give up on God for yourself. You can't quit being a light. You Can't reach, quit reaching and helping. Jesus is coming. Yes, he is. He wants to find you at your post. We must be about, we, we, we ought to be like Jesus. Don't you know? I must be about my father's business. So I'm going to ask you as a church if you would just make your way here to the front and join me and let's just take a few moments and dedicate ourselves anew and afresh to the Lord. Would you do that? Come up close so we can get everybody up, get everybody in. Would you make that your prayer? Lord, I need a fresh touch from you. I need, I need to be filled again. Maybe things have gotten a little stale. Maybe they've gotten a little cold. I, don't, I need to be refired. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you, would you just ask it? come, Holy Spirit. Come into my life again. Do something new in me. Change me from the inside out. Lift up your voice in prayer. Come on, talk to the Lord.